Hey everyone, Pastor Matt here. You are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Canton. Our prayer is that the Word of God would both transform you and equip you to live a life unleashed for the glory of God. Our desire is that this content would not be a substitute for your regular gathering with other brothers and sisters in Christ. Instead, that it would be a supplemental boost to encourage you as you seek to follow Jesus. Thanks for listening. Now grab your Bible and let's jump into Scripture together. Take your Bibles and open up to 1 Peter chapter 3. And if you are just joining us for the first time in this series, I want to thank you for coming and we are kind of in the middle of First Peter, but a couple of things just to reiterate, and then we're going to jump into today's section, which is going to be verses 1 through 7. Uh, so First Peter was, uh, was written to, uh, well, let's see, let's, let's test you guys and see. First Peter was written to whom? The church. Everyone say the church. Okay, specifically written to the church in what region? What we know today as Turkey, right? So in the very beginning of 1 Peter, he gives a list of all these churches that he's writing to. And if you uh, do the research and see the map, this is the region that he's talking to. This whole kind of scope across the region of what we today call the country of Turkey. And as he is writing to them, there's a couple of things that he emphasizes multiple times. But one of the major themes throughout First Peter is how to live as sojourners or exiles. And one could ask the question, well, what is it about uh, these individuals that... Uh, Peter refers to them in this way, and there's a couple of reasons that they could be referred to as this. One is uh, their geographical location in reference to the people they are, but the other more long-standing reason is because those in Christ indeed are exiles or sojourners. Simply put, what that means is those in Christ are called to represent a different Land in the land that they dwell. It's one of the transitions or transformations that happens when someone chooses, uh, someone follows after Christ, someone makes a decision to follow Jesus, then uh, they become what we call an ambassador, what scripture calls an ambassador. Everyone say ambassador. An ambassador for Christ. Not for this kingdom but for his. And that kind of sets the tone for the the focused theme of Peter writing, as well as the focused people that he's writing to. And if we're going to understand what scripture says, we want to do so through a lens that first identifies this is uh, who the writer is speaking to. And from that, what would the Lord teach us as his church? And today, specifically, we are going to see that Peter addresses a very specific relationship. Last week, he addressed a couple of different relationships. He addresses the church, uh, the church in Turkey's relationship to uh, 
authority, human authority structures. And he addresses uh, the people in this people group who were slaves under earthly masters and how they should respond to these authority structures if they indeed are followers of Christ. And we saw that in verse 16 which of chapter 2. Look at that just briefly. This exhortation, if you were to sum up last week's as well as what today's focus is, it hinges on verse 16, which is the exhortation to live as people who are what? Free, not using your cover, your freedom as a cover up for evil, but living as what? Servants of God. And so the root question here for us as the church, it, it was the root exhortation from Peter to the church here and should be the root question for us. How do we live in any relational context as servants of God? That's our priority. And that can become a challenging entity when we look at how maybe the relationships that we encounter on this earth are in contrast to or feels like they are a hindrance to us living as servants of God. A really simple application question you and I can ask when we encounter every relational circumstance on on this earth is, am I responding as a servant of God or a servant of self? Am I responding as a servant of God or a servant of, of self? Naturally, you and I are going to respond as servants of self. It is how we are pre-programmed to think about only ourselves. So it takes intentionality, commitment, and dedication for us to really focus and fix our eyes on who God has called us to be in his word, servants of God. So I want to pray, and then we're going to jump in and uh, have this conversation today. Uh, I'm excited to share this with you from God's word. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for giving us the opportunity to walk in faith. Lord, I pray that we as a people, in recognition of our flesh, would walk in humility, understanding that there is life and hope only in Jesus. Lord, may we be a people who serve you. Make us a people, Lord, who serve you. Help us to be attuned to your Spirit's leading, that we would respond positively to your Spirit and reject the passions of our flesh. Lord, thank you for your forgiveness that extends far beyond what any one of us would do on this earth. Lord, we cling to that this morning, and it motivates our worship. And our prayers for ongoing transformation, Lord, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. How many of you would agree that men and women are very different? (laughs) Everyone chuckles. So different, right? So different. In fact, when... 
my wife and I, over the last 10 years of doing ministry together, one of the things that we have grown to enjoy a lot is doing premarital counseling. And we've had the privilege of doing that a lot when we were in Oregon, and we've been able to do that quite a bit while we, while we are here. And uh, we love to get together with uh, couples who are married or who are pursuing marriage and just talking to them about how do we do this thing called marriage. Now, I want to preface something and say, when we come to sermon subjects like this in Scripture, the tendency is for a, a couple of things, all right? So I'm going to speak to a couple different groups of people to set the stage here. Number one, people who have never been married, and uh, regardless of what season of life you're in, you may be someone who goes... This may be valuable in the future, or you may be someone who goes, I don't have any thought or plan of this at this point in my life. I don't know what the point is. And I would tell you that regardless of who you are or what season of life you're in, you are surrounded by people who are looking for answers as to how to live in thriving relationships with one another. So any means by which we can understand God's design for those relationships is going to benefit you or the people around you. And understand that God can use your understanding of his word to bring about a lot of clarity in the lives of people who may be in a different season of life. And we see that throughout scripture. We see that in the um, Peter, as far as scripture reveals to us, is the only one of the disciples who is married. And so how much value is the words that they have written to people in a whole diverse scenario of situations? Jesus himself was not married according to what scripture says. Do we value what he says about these things? Absolutely we do. So regardless of what season of life you are in, there is value in knowing what the word of God teaches. The other grouping of people that I will speak to in this is those who may be in contentious or challenging relationship situations. And you may be tempted to take on a sarcastic tone. In response to these things. Oh yeah. Well you've never sat in my shoes. Or in my situation. Or you've never met my spouse. And what I will encourage you with. Is that at the end of the day. The focus of this. Has nothing to do with who you think your spouse should be. And everything to do with who God calls you to be. And that's where we come back to the question. Am I living as a servant of God. Or a servant of self. That question, regardless of what relationship you apply it to, is, imp- is important. And so it doesn't matter whether you are a, a student who has a long time until you even think about marriage, or you are someone who is at completely different season, maybe even closer to the end of your life, and... You go, I've, I've heard these things before. Who might the Lord be calling you to encourage today? Who might the Lord already have placed in your path that you can speak truth to from this? All right. I just want you to sit with that and be reminded that if you hear the word of God and you absorb it, he will be faithful to use you with it. So keep that in mind. But in the, in the scope of this, when we sit with couples and we, and we talk with them about the differences between men and women, this is a common illustration that we use. And I love visuals. And so I generally say men are like file cabinets. 
And what I mean by that is a couple of things. All right. A file cabinet is very specific about purpose. So if I need a file, I can go into my file bank, pull out a file, open the file and focus on the file. And when I'm focused on a file, I don't I'm I'm not concerned about the other files because this is the file I have. File cabinet. Now, contrasting that, women are a lot more like this. And notice, women are significantly more attractive. Okay? Just just start right out of the gate. I'm very very convinced of that. Of course, my perspective is skewed, but I, I believe that. And yet, here's here's the reality. There are strands and pathways somewhere in here. But it takes some work to navigate. And in some way, if 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 my wife and I were to sit down and open the same file, uh, hers is connected to significantly more areas than mine. And so we may be we may be tracking in a conversation along and all of a sudden we're over here. Well, I, I've still got file a open. Right. And all of a sudden I am I am lost, but she is not. And when men and women consider the difference, men look at this and they go, how can you not be lost? And when women look at this, they go, can you be a little more? present or creative or emotionally engaged or something. And I go, well, my file's open. I don't understand what more I need to do. Okay. There, there is a big difference. Everyone say there's a difference. Now, what's amazing about this is that God's design saw that it was not good for the file cabinet to exist on its own. That by itself is the first time in creation in Genesis that God says, this is not good. And so God said, I make, I'm, I'm going to make a helper suitable for the man. And, and the, 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 the term helper there is not one of, you're, you, I'm going to make you someone who can do your bidding. It is the image of there's a rock that's too big for you to pick up. And you will not be able to do it without your helper that that's the imagery that Genesis portrays and yet when sin entered the world it severed the and and daily threatens what God established and so every one of us at some point whether it be our parents or Friends that we know or in our own relationships have witnessed the fragmentation of sin on a God designed relationship. And, and if you can't identify a specific area, then you don't have to look very far into our culture to see a fragmentation of God's design for that relationship. And so the question as we come to this passage in first Peter chapter three sits with the, the, the rooting, what is the biblical formula to a healthy and God-honoring marriage? What is the biblical formula? And now, in order to grasp this well, here's what has to happen. 
you have to set aside your own preconceived ideas about what you think marriage is and even what you may be prone to assume based in what someone has told you or what you've read on social media or what you've read in the news or what you've heard on the radio or a podcast or something else that scripture infers about marriage. And instead, look at this through the lens of Peter speaking specifically here to the church and their their situation and going, what is it that God wants to teach us through this? How can we grow in this? So I'm going to read verses 1 through 7 in 1 Peter chapter 3, and then we're going to break this apart and seek to answer that question. What is, according to 1 Peter 3, the biblical formula to a healthy and God-honoring marriage? Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct, do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair and the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Praise God for his word. Now, one of the first comments that I often get when we encounter this passage in 1 Peter 3 is people jump right to, how come there is six verses for wives and one for husbands? What's going on here? Well, trust me when I say I have a whole page of notes for each, so it doesn't matter how many verses there are. And in some, in some measures, what this speaks to is there is most likely a specific grouping of people that are living in a common struggle that Peter's writing to. There is noticeably, clearly, women who are struggling here with ungodly or unbelieving husbands, and how do I honor this marriage covenant before the Lord? And he's addressing that. So don't read into this and go, yeah, the Bible is clearly has... Different standards for, for women than it does for men. And it, don't buy into this cultural junk, church. R- read scripture through the lens of what is the motive behind the writer here? What is he trying to communicate? And what are the circumstances of the people that he's seeking to minister to? And what can we learn from how he's caring for them? Now, the... <laughs> passages like this have really heated... Debates across culture, but also within the church. And here's, here's how, <laughs> here, here's how people think about this. We read passages like this, and if you're, if you're like me, or more of a file cabinet mentality, then you go, that's the way it is. It's easy, simple. There you go. It's what it says, it's what it's done. But if, if this is how our brain works, then all of a sudden, a passage like this and the exhortations it gives bring about more questions. 
How does that play into this scenario? What is behind submission, really? Does it actually mean submit? What if my spouse doesn't deserve that? Does this affect my relationship with God? What if I've been the problem the whole time? You, You see how this spiral goes on. And so I want to I want to de- deconstruct a little bit about what we are prone to throw our own opinions into and just look at what scripture says. And the first piece of this is the word likewise. Now, when we see a word like that, it should signal us that this is part of an entire thought, not a thought in and of itself. What is this Saying likewise after. Well, it's following the exhortation in verse 13 for the whole church to be subject for the Lord's sake to human institutions. It's following verse 18, the exhortation to servants to be subject to the masters with all respect. And in the same way, likewise, wives are to do this. And in verse 7, likewise, husbands are to do this. These all tie together. Into one major focus, which is simply, how do I live as a servant of God in this relationship? How do I do it? And the number one answer is, seek to serve God first. Start there. It doesn't matter what your mindset is. If you are not seeking to serve the Lord first, it will not succeed. Doesn't matter what the relationship is, if you are not seeking to serve the Lord first, it will fail. It will always fail. That's why it's important that when you, when you sit down and you read these, if you've got a difficult spouse, trust me when I say that, uh, your spouse is probably thinking the same thing about you. Because when we are not serving the Lord, then we're only serving ourselves. And when we look at ourselves, we go, well, you're not meeting my needs. And they're thinking the same thing. And we end up spiraling. And miscommunication happens. This is what goes on. Okay. Now, we can jump off the spiral if we stop and we say, first off, who am I serving? Everyone, everyone ask that. Everyone say that. Who am I serving? Go. Who am I serving? Okay, that, that's, if you find yourself in a difficult relationship circumstance, first question you ask, according to scripture, who am I serving in this moment? Answer that question honestly. Then, and only then, can we follow with seeking to understand what is he communicating. In this first verse, wives, be subject to your own husbands so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. Exhortation is simple. It's clear. Maybe not simple. Be subject to your own husbands. Why should I do that? Verses 1 and 2 reveal simply that they might see Christ in you. That they might see a servant of God in you. Which is who Jesus was. That they might see Christ in your life. My motive for walking in obedience to God's design here is not that I'm going to get something out of it. My motive is what I have already received from Jesus. If I have received salvation in Christ, then I walk in obedience because my eyes are fixed on the Lord. Now, this word... Submission or subject to is the root cause of almost all the controversy around this. Because here's what we do. We hear this word and we apply our own individual assessment or meaning behind that word. Instead of going, what does it look like to be subject to something 
as a servant of God. What does that look like? So I want to give you two unbiblical views of submission. And they're on two ends of the spectrum. The first one is that submission means unbridled obedience. If I'm going to be subject to, it means I have to obey everything that that authority figure says and wants me to do. Wrong. How do we know that? Because there is one authority figure that trumps all. Who is it? It's the Lord. It's God's authority, which is why I have to identify who am I serving? Am I a servant of God or am I a servant of self? And so if I'm a servant of God, then who God calls me to be and what he calls me to do trumps any other authority structure that exists on earth. Any of them. It doesn't doesn't matter. Uh, Look to if, if you look down at verse Uh, Verse five, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. Now, we'll talk more about that in a minute, but think about a minute that the submission that he's describing here is one that is rooted in women whose hope was rooted in the Lord. Their hope was not rooted in their husbands. Their hope was not rooted in earthly success. Their hope was rooted in in the Lord. And that is what brought about a response even to the utter foolishness of their husbands. Their hope was in the Lord. And therefore, I'm going to obey the Lord and serve the Lord in my home. So it's not biblical for me to go. Submission is just obedience. Submission is and and husbands, you need to you need to think about this the same way. Your wife being subject to you does not mean that you are the king and she is your maidservant. And if you treat her as such, stop it. It is not the biblical model for which God ordained marriage, the marriage relationship to exist. In fact, Ephesians five tells us that you should. Uh, you should love your wife as Christ loved the church. We're going to see in verse 7, the call is for you to live with your wife in an understanding way. So it, submission is not just, I'm going to put my head down and obey everything. Submission is also not an archaic cultural standard that no longer applies. How can we affirm that? Well, consider the example that Peter uses here to talk to the church. Sarah. Now, I want you to go back and think through how many years has it been? We're talking thousands of years between when Sarah was on the earth and when he's writing to the church. You want to tell me the culture wasn't different here than it was when Sarah was alive? Absolutely it was different. So why is the what is praised here and the standard that is set, why is it the same? Well, because God designed marriage a certain way. And so if we come to this and we go, I don't like this idea of being subject to. Well, first I need to revisit what am I calling submission or being subject to. And secondly, to realize you didn't invent marriage. You don't get to define that. God does. And that's not going to change. Because God is the one who implemented it, family. We need to hold fast to that. So, 
if, if these are unbiblical views of what submission looks like, then the question becomes, what does it look like? How, how does this play out? And in order to understand that, I want to highlight something that's really important. Roles do not determine value in the kingdom of God. Roles do not determine value in the kingdom of God. I try to reiterate this over and over. My role as a pastor in our church does not make me more valuable than the person working behind the scenes that most people don't see. It it doesn't. In the same way, if we go back to Genesis, who did God create in his own image? Man and woman. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. They are created in God's image. Male and female are image bearers of God. Now, if you stop for a minute and ask the question, was there a different role responsibility given to Adam than given to Eve? The answer is yes. Everyone say yes. Most notably, God gave Adam the instruction not to eat of the tree. And notice who's responsible for sin entering the world. It wasn't Eve. Well, she ate first. Yeah. When did sin actually enter? (laughs) When Adam did. First Corinthians 15 tells us. Just as sin entered the world through one man, so forgiveness has come through one man. We inherit sin because of what Adam did. Adam's the one who disobeyed. Why is he the one blamed if both of them ate of the tree? Because Adam was given the responsibility. And, and you're going to hear me say in a minute, brothers, if you're in a marriage and you do not fulfill your God-given responsibility to lead your home well, Your wife is not responsible. You are. Because that's the responsibility of the role God has given you as husband. (laughs) Role does not equate value, but it does shift responsibility. Which means it also shifts what I'm going to be judged for. And I need to consider that. This is, these are multiple places we see that role does not determine value. Matthew 20, you have this contrast of the rulers over the Gentiles. And yet whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the son of man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Galatians 3, there's neither Jew nor Greek nor slave nor free. There's no male or female for you are all one in Christ. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring heirs, both of you heirs, according to the promise. So if we understand this, then the value across the board is the same. There is no hierarchy in value. So deflate that perspective. Therefore, what does submission and being subject to look like? It looks like acknowledging the God-given roles in our home. 
It looks like acknowledging for a wife to say, I understand that biblically God has given my husband the responsibility to lead my home well. Therefore, being subject to that role is I'm going to encourage that role in my husband. I'm going to encourage it, not try and bring it to be of my own accord. That's where the second part of this comes in. If you've got a husband who is ungodly and who's unwilling to follow after Christ, then there's the exhortation here that you be faithful to serve the Lord. So that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So the focus is I'm going to be who God's called me to be, regardless of who my spouse is being. Now, when I say that, this does not mean that you just become a doormat. This does not mean that you just accept abusive behavior in your life and allow people to bowl over you. God has not called you to that. That would be the unbiblical identity of submission as just obedience. I just have to do whatever they want me to do. No, you don't. God has not called you to stay in a situation where your life is at risk. But he has called you to be faithful to serve him regardless of your circumstances. He has called you to seek to honor Christ regardless of what's happening in your home. And you are not going to be responsible for how your husband acts or responds. But God will hold you accountable for how you walked in obedience to his instruction to you. There's a focus here that's focused more on who you are than how you look. Why? Verse 4. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves. By submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham. Now, when we even think about that, consider, did Sarah have, would Sarah have had any reason not to be subject to her husband? And the answer is absolutely yes. If you read through Genesis multiple times that Abraham was a complete idiot. Not just once did he tell his wife to lie to a group of people so that their lives would be spared. Twice he did this, even after the Lord got on his case. I mean, he really screwed up. And yet you see Sarah honor the Lord and trust the Lord's purposes. Even when she's struggling with the idea the Lord's going to give them a child when they're old in age. Still praises the Lord for his faithfulness, still follows through. And we don't see a lot of the behind the scenes. And yet you also don't see Sarah be someone kind of like a contrast would be Job's wife who told him, curse God and die already. In the midst of your agony. Understand that who you are is the imperishable beauty that exists. 
This doesn't mean that it is a bad thing for you to be concerned with how you look. I have a couple of daughters that love to just dress up and look pretty. And that's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But understand that what is on the outside pales in comparison to who you are inside. Verse 4 says that it is that imperishable internal beauty that is very precious in God's sight. So to my sisters in Christ, understand that your greatest value has nothing to do with how you look and everything to do with who God has made you to be. Understand that your greatest traits have nothing to do with how you age and everything to do with how you grow in Christ. That is most valuable. Hope in God is what brings about a fearlessness and a confidence that's not rooted in ourselves, but it's rooted in God. Now, practically speaking, what are some ways that I can simply be subject to my ungodly or unbelieving husband today? And these are these apply here, but they apply everywhere. Um, pray fervently for their good, not their judgment. Okay? There's a difference. Spend time with them undistracted. Uh, ladies, a great piece of advice I can give you is that your husbands loved shared time with you. Uh, one of, that was one of the early things my wife and I realized is how different we are and how we spend time together. Alright? Uh, in my in my view, if we are on a drive together, going somewhere, we spent time together. And yet, if I say that's time with her, uh, she will come to me later and be like, "We haven't had any time together." And file cabinet brain goes, "I thought that's what we were doing. Like we just spent an hour in the car together." No, because in her mind, that needs to be face to face, where I'm not distracted by something else. Right. Your husbands love to spend time with you. Uh, that means take time to do some of the things that they enjoy. Even if you dislike it greatly. One of my favorite things is when I'm out working on a vehicle in my garage or a project and my wife just comes out and sits there to be with me. And it energizes me. And you think about that, that's what happens when, we, when we're dating, right? We spend time together. We invest in one another. So that's a really simple way to do that. Encourage them to lead well in each area of their life. If they do well in a job, encourage them with that. If they do well in an area of the house, encourage them with that. Encourage them to take initiative and lead. Don't start com- complaining about it, but encourage them to lead. Model Christ to them. Love them when they don't deserve it. Serve them when they don't serve you. Affirm the good that you see in them. And be consistent. All of this <laughs> under the reminder of what God in Christ has done for you. Now, that's only half the puzzle. So, brothers, brothers. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. 
What does it look like to live with your wife in an understanding way? Now, here's a very simple key to my brothers in Christ. There is no file for this. There is no instruction manual for understanding and living with your wife in an understanding way. So discard that out of your brain. Because if you keep looking for that, you're going to be frustrated. It's interesting that this in First Peter is the only place that this word is translated understanding. It's the Greek word gnosis, which is knowledge or to know. In other words, the very direct exhortation of this is husbands live with your wives in a knowledgeable way. Know them. So how do I make the transition? Because it's one thing to be, quote unquote, understanding, and it's another to intentionally know your wife. So the first thing I tell you is seek to understand the why. Why has God made her the way that she is? Who has God made her to be? Why does she feel that way? Don't just be frustrated if your wife feels a certain way. Try to figure out why they feel that way. What is she passionate about? How many of you would be able to answer that question about your spouse today? It would be a really great lunchtime conversation. If you don't know, guys, there's your homework. At lunch today, ask your wife, what, what is it that you are just super passionate about? What gets you excited and honestly, if you have not asked that question or had those conversations in your marriage, uh, now she'll, she'll be semi-expecting it, because I gave you the assignment. But she, she may have to think about it for a little bit, because she may not have anyone in her life who's asked her that question recently. What is she passionate about? What scares her the most? How many of you would be able to answer that question? What does she need to hear often? See, these are all aspects where men are prone to look at this and go, you just need to be more like this. And it would make your life so much easier. That's not a solution. That, that's not knowing my wife. It, trust me, I've talked with my wife and she said, if I had a way to pull out one file, don't you think I would? <laughs> You know, I, I have I have a nothing file that I can pull out if I'm really tired and I don't want to think about anything. I could pull it out and she'll ask, what, what are you thinking about? Nothing. Doesn't make sense because that file doesn't exist for my wife. It doesn't exist. And so for me, I, I can't understand that. But God has designed her in such a way that that's who she is. It's important for me to know. And seek to understand. And brothers, it, it's, it's going to take you a lifetime to, to learn how to know how to navigate alongside of your wife. <laughs> that was so perfectly timed, Rick. But let me tell you something. There is no greater treasure, brothers than to do the hard work of knowing your wife. Because the more you know her, the more you unearth aspects about her character that you may have never, never seen.
the more she will point you to Christ in ways that you've never understood or thought about. Because, you see, the church is incomplete without men or women together. Why? Because together we make up the image of God. If we just get together as a group of guys, we might have fun for a little bit, but eventually I'm going to get tired of you. Truly, because there's only so much we're going to talk about. And then we, then we need something to build or something to work on. Like, give us a project. But the women in our church are much better at relationally connecting with people. Now, there's always exceptions to these, all right? You may be a woman that functions more like with a file cabinet type brain. You may be a man who can't think about one thing and you're all over the place. There, there are exceptions to that. This is just a general visual underneath that. But how do I, as a husband, seek to live with my wife in a, in a knowledgeable, understanding way? I should be shepherding her heart out of a desire to see her be more like Jesus. If, if I'm living as a servant of God, then my aim is to help her become even a better servant of God than she is already. To, to, to come underneath and support and encourage her to be more and more like Jesus. That should be my aim. So that as she comes alongside and seeks to encourage me and my role as husband and leader in my home, that I'm right beside her encouraging and exhorting her to become more and more like Jesus and her role as a wife and all that God's called her to. And you see, all of a sudden, if I'm living as a servant of God in both of those ways, now we are together seeking to help each other become better servants of God. But it may take me hard work to know, to really know my wife. And guys, I'll tell you this. If you have gone years without seeking to really know your wife, it's going to take you longer. Because there's probably some doors in your wife that have been closed because you haven't cared enough to try and know. So be patient if that's where you find yourself. If you, if you listen to this and you go, oh, I've got some work to do. I have not intentionally sought to know my wife well. Get double the time that it would take someone who's just starting off. Because you're going to have to undo some of the things that you have failed to do up to this point. Showing honor to her. As the weaker vessel. Now, this is another one of those that people take and they go, Oh, see, the Bible sees women are weaker. And yet we should ask the question across scripture, what does weaker mean? It doesn't mean spiritually weaker because right here after this, it says they are heirs with you. Not subservient to you. They are co-heirs with you in Christ. Equal reigning with Jesus. All right. So it's not a spiritual weakness. It's not a mentally weaker aspect and, or, or emotionally weaker. If anything, I would say women tend to be emotionally quite a bit stronger in the sense they can boldly express how they're feeling much better than most men. And so it leaves us with this place of saying, well, honestly, there's one aspect that is fairly consistent, and that is the woman is most often physically weaker than God designed the man to be. Across the board, we see that. 
And so there's meant to be a husband to, would live in an honoring way to her, understanding that. Oh, why should I do this? No, they're not lesser than me, and they are heirs with Christ. Motive for living in an understanding way with your, with your wife, stop and think about, for a minute, what God in Christ has done for you. Now, think about the fact that you, brothers, have been entrusted with his daughter. I'm curious, how many of you guys have daughters? I do. I want you to think about how you would feel today if someone else treated your daughter the way you treat your wife. Would you be okay with that? Or not? Then stop and consider that in Christ, our sisters in Christ are daughters of the Most High. I don't think we really have any concept of the judgment God will bring about those who choose to break down and abuse and destroy the daughters of the king. So as plainly and directly as I can say it, stop. And shift your perspective to be a man who honors your wife and glorifies the Lord as a servant of him. Another motive for doing this, we're almost there. If you don't do this, your prayers may be hindered. Look at the end of this passage. Since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Your unwillingness to live with your wife in an understanding way, to honor who she is, will most certainly affect your relationship with God. I found this quote this week, and I thought it was really powerful, but also really humbling. God does not bless with his favor those who are in positions of authority and abuse those who are under them by mistreating them. So if you are someone in a place of authority and you are abusing those people under your authority, do not expect the blessing of the Lord. How can I honor my wife? How can I show honor? Celebrate her. Brag on her. Encourage her. Sit with her. Defend her. These are all really practical ways, brothers, that we can honor our wives well. And the only way I'm going to know how to do this well is if I know her. Otherwise, I'm going to start defending things that I don't need to defend, or I might not know to celebrate things that she wants to celebrate, or I might encourage her in the wrong way, or whatever it might be. Seek to know your wife. And lastly, what are practical ways that I can live with my wife in a knowledgeable and understanding way? These are a handful. Know her love language and speak it often. Uh, If you have never done a five love languages assessment, I'm going to encourage you to do that this week. 
You can do it for free online. If you would rather have a printed copy, let me know and I will get that to you. Super valuable and helpful to know how to serve your spouse. Model Christ to them. Love them when they don't deserve it. Serve them when they don't serve you. Affirm the good you see in them. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? It's because it's the same one that I had under wives. Because if we are servants of God, there's going to be common themes. There should be. Sit with them undistracted. Guys and gals, one of the things I didn't say, but I should have said, undistracted means don't just put this thing away. Shut it off. Shut the TV off. Cut out the distractions and sit with your spouse. Talk about life. Maybe you're a morning person. Get up in the morning, share a cup of coffee or tea or whatever, and get to know each other. Prioritize date night. Spend time undistracted together. Pray with them. Reminding them that God is sovereign over their deepest fears and insecurities. Be consistent. At the end of the day, family, biblical marriages lived out in biblical ways visibly proclaim the gospel to the world. And if you get nothing else out of today, I want you to get this. Biblical marriages lived out in biblical ways visibly proclaim the gospel to the world. And where do we see that? Ephesians 5. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. God has uniquely created us, and together we make up the image of God. As men and women of the church. We each have distinct roles. That do not value or devalue us. More than the other. But for which we will be held responsible. And so whether you're a. Frustrated file cabinet. Or a stressed out bunch of ribbon. I want to encourage you today. To strive to live as a servant of God. And ask the question, who has God called me to be in my marriage, in this relationship, that he might be glorified above anything else? Amen?